Hello, hello again. It's me. I'm back. Um, we are in the book of Romans. If you're visiting our church today, um, if you're not visiting our church, you would know we're in the book of Romans because we've been there for a long time. Um, we very much on purpose, as our main thing we do on a Sunday, is preach through books of the Bible. That's one of our big um, kind of values here. Um, some churches don't like to do that. They like to hop around all over the Bible. and um, But we, we genuinely believe that we will be most most truly transformed when we actually um, let God set the agenda for our church and we let him speak to us, um, that we will be most powerfully transformed when we don't just kind of look to our pastors to bring tidbits from the Bible, but we sit actually underneath a whole book of the Bible and go directly to the source as a community, right? So we're not just going to look to our pastors to kind of like, you know, give us little bits. We're going to go to the thing itself. We're going to sit underneath its power, its authority, all of us together, including the pastors, right? We're going to do that as a church, and we believe that that is the way, um, on the whole, we should spend this time together. Uh, we want to let God speak to us, not just our pastors speak to us. We want to hear God speak. And so um, one of the things it does do is it stops stops the pastors just kind of going to their favorite verses every week and preaching what they really want to preach. It means we really get to hear the full counsel of God. And so we're doing that through the book of Romans at the moment. If you don't know what Romans is, it's a letter written 2,000 years ago by Paul, one of the, the uh, apostles, uh, one of the followers of Jesus, to a church, or the churches in Rome, the Roman church in, um, yeah, over there in Rome. It is, the, it is really Paul's theological manifesto. So it is big, it is epic. It's one of the, the, the biggest books in the New Testament. It is very dense, very profound, very important. And so that's what we're doing as a church at the moment. Um, we're kind of picking it up halfway through where we left off last week. Um, maybe just a quick thing. Can I just get a show of hands? Who, who maybe was here last week? Is that a good way to say it? Um, okay, that's just helpful for me to know because this message is almost like part two of last week. Um, last week's text was so big, so profound, so important that we decided to split it in two, do it over two weeks. Um, so if you missed last week, um, it's very important to make sense of this week. It's kind of, you need to kind of hear today in light of last week, if that makes sense. And so um, if you'd like to, I'd really encourage you. That's all up on our podcast, on our website. Go, go to iTunes or wherever you get um, podcasts from, um, iTunes, Android. Um, this is part two, really, of that message. And so we're picking up the text from verse 6. We kind of 1 to 11 last week. This time we're kind of doing 18, 8 to 14 kind of thing. So we're going to go a bit further, but here we go. This is... Romans 6, from verse, I'm going to go from verse 6. He says this, he says, He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him. It's talking about Jesus. Our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Why is that? So, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin been joined to Christ with his, with, in his death so that we might be no longer enslaved to sin, freed from the power of sin. He says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Not just die, but also live. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. 
death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died to sin, he died to sin once and for all. Right? That, that's never happening again. That was a one-time deal. Jesus died on the cross once. He's not doing it again. He's, he lives forever now. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, church, so you, Inogra, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Just as Jesus is dead to sin and alive to God, you are to consider yourself likewise dead to sin and alive to God because you are connected with him supernaturally. That's where we finished last week. He goes on. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make, it, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of God. Let's pray again for our time before we jump in. Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us. Lord, we, we, we take it for granted sometimes, Lord, but today we want to stop and, and, um, and thank you sincerely for the gift of your clear word. Lord, that you speak to us through it, Lord, and um, I pray today we would have ears to hear it. Lord, give us ears to hear your message, Lord, where it is hard, where it is difficult, Lord, where we are resistant to your voice, Lord, make us soft. Lord, we genuinely want to hear from you today, Lord, uh, and so I pray that you would work in us today through Romans. Amen. All right, so we are in chapter 6 now. We are, we've been looking at the, um, the, the, the full extent of the gospel, haven't we? We've been looking at um, just how deep it goes, just how far it reaches, and its, its magnitude and its massive scale. And we've been hearing about this, this gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ dying for sinners. Good news for broken sinners. And we saw this in verse um, chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul has this great little line where he says, where our sin increased, grace increased, grace abounded all the more. And the word there is, is super abounded. Where our sin increased, God's grace just washes over it like a flood. The Greek word again, super abounded. And, and, and um, this is good news for us because we have sin. We have very real sin in our lives. And, we found, and when we find ourselves facing the reality of our very real sin, we also find ourselves facing the reality of God's very real, superabounding grace. Praise God for this. Romans 5.20 is teaching us that there is simply more grace in God than there is sin in us. There is simply more grace in God than there is sin in us. And of course, we, t- we talked about this last week, right? This isn't an invitation to come and give that a red-hot crack and, and really test the boundaries of, of that claim. No, we're not invited to see if we can like, out-sin God's grace as if that is a good thing. No. We talked about this last week again, right? That would, that would be treating God's grace as cheap and dispensable and unimportant, right? But um, we don't want to do that. We love Jesus. We don't want to make a mockery of his death. No, grace and forgiveness that we experience, the superabundant grace is not cheap. It is not disposable. It is precious. 
It is paid for in the blood of Christ. It's free for us to receive, but it wasn't free for God to give. No, we do not treat it lightly. We do not treat it irreverently. This isn't an invitation to go and see if we can out God's grace. No, it's an invitation to receive grace, to rest in grace. It's an invitation to let the grace of God flood our lives, to flood into our hearts, to get, get in there and cover up all our mess and all our brokenness and all our need. It is an invitation to be fully submerged in the river of God's grace. This is, the, this is the invitation of the gospel. Come and receive grace again and again and again, fully and finally. We spoke about this last week as well, right? We, we've all got days in our lives that we deeply regret. We've all got moments in our past that we would try and, if we could, delete. And yet we, we what, we live them again and again. We continue to kind of experience these days and, and, um, and relive them. And I mean, everyone in this room has those days, right? I have, I have those days, absolutely. But the gospel comes in and it brings with it a new beginning, new life, a new start, fresh grace for our real needs. The gospel comes in and, and, and tells us that Jesus didn't just die for us at our best, but us at our worst, our very worst day. God's grace is for that moment right there and in our deepest hurts and in our deepest regrets and in our deep, deepest brokenness. Jesus himself said this. He said that um, he was speaking to those that thought that they were above God's grace. And he came to them and said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've come for the sick. They couldn't see that they were sick themselves. No, on, God's, on, on our worst day, on your worst day, God's grace superabounds, floods, covers up all of our need. It's not the cleaned up Instagrammable version of your life that God loves. It's the sinner, <laughs> the broken sinner that God's grace comes to. Your deepest shame, your most real regrets, that is where God's grace becomes most real. It's precisely there that we need his grace the most. It's precisely there in those, in those low places that the, our Savior Jesus comes and meets with us and sits us down and looks us in the eye and says, I forgive you for this. For this moment. When that happens and that registers with us, it's when we shift from being kind of people that understand Christianity to being believers in Jesus. We, we shift from kind of understanding the concepts to actually feeling forgiven. We begin to come alive to God. We begin to connect with God. Why? Because we're not just experiencing hypothetical forgiveness for our hypothetical sins. We're experiencing actual grace for our actual sin. We begin to feel forgiveness. Real, we, we get real forgiveness. We feel it. We know it. We come alive to God. And this is what we all want, I think. If we're in church on a sad Sunday, that's when the weather's not too bad. It's because we want this, right? We want to come alive to God again. We want to be dead to sin and alive to God. We don't want the hypothetical Christianity. We want the real stuff. The real grace. What we saw last week is the grace of God comes to us 
in this, in this place. And it connects us to Jesus. This is what we saw last week, right? It connects us to, it unites us with him. This is what we saw in verses 5 through 7. If we have been, look at this word, united with him. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So we're set free. No longer enslaved. Why? Because Jesus is set free. And we're connected to him. What is true of us is true of him. What is true of him is true of us because we are bound inextricably to the Lord Jesus. So we're no longer enslaved to sin. For the one who has died, and if you're a believer, that includes you today, we have died in, in, in a very real spiritual sense. We've died with Christ. And so we've been set free from sin. Because we're really self-disciplined and we really know how to fight sin well. That's not what it's saying. It's saying we're set free from the power of sin because we're joined to Jesus. God has rescued us not just from the penalty of sin. I think churches like ours, we're really good on that point. We're really good at the, we're forgiven of our sin. Our sin has been uh, atoned for on the cross. The, pen, the, the, the penalty of sin has been paid for by the cross, and we get that, we understand that. But what he's saying here is that you're not just, not just been set free from the penalty of sin, but the very power of it, the power it has presently in your life. You are set free from it. You are no longer ruled by it, but you're ruled by God instead. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. So it gets better. It's not just that we've died to Christ, it's also that now we live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him, right? He is King of Death now. He sits on the throne. No longer does death reign. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died to sin. We're connected with him. We have died to sin. Jesus is now alive and he lives to God. If you're a Christian, you are connected to Christ. You are now live alive to God. No matter what happened in your week this week, no matter what it looks like on the ground, the deepest, most ultimate reality of your life is that you are now alive to God in Christ, set free from the power of sin. So verse 11, this is where we ended last week, the first imperative in Romans, the first time Paul tells us to do something. It took us six chapters to get there. And he says this, So, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Believe that. Believe what is true. Actually appropriate the truth in your own life. Live like it's true. Believe it. Trust it. Count on it. Reckon it to be true in your own living. You are dead to sin and alive to God. So just be who you are, Christian. Be who you are. He then turns a corner in verse 12. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. Verse 12. We get some more commands. He says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Really, that therefore word's really important. 
based on what I've just been saying, that you are alive, dead to sin, alive to God, don't continue to let sin win. You're dead to sin. Don't, don't continue to walk in it if you are dead to it. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have how much dominion? No dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace, sin will have no dominion over you. So that's actually a promise. So here's the logic. Here's the logic of what Paul just did. Now that you are dead to sin and you're alive to God and you're free from the power of sin, you actually have the ability to make a decision here. Like you actually get to participate in this moment. Are you going to continue to follow the path of sin in your life or follow the path of God in your life? Are you going to continue to obey sin or are you going to continue to obey God? You actually have a decision to make. What kind of life do you want to live? One that honors the Lord or one that does not? And so what he does is he gives us two warnings and a command. The first one, do not let sin reign. Secondly, do not offer your body as instruments for wickedness. And third, the command, present yourself to God. Firstly, the warning. Do not let sin reign. Let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This um, you'll picked up on, on, on the language here. It's actually, it's actually warfare language. It's actually warfare language. When he, when he says, do not let sin reign, he's saying, don't surrender to the false king who has no authority over you anymore. Don't surrender to him. Either you will by default surrender yourself to the usurper, right, who has no right to the throne but is going to keep claiming power, that's sin, or you're going to defy that sin, defy that usurper, and bend your knee to the true king. But you're going to have to need to make a decision at one point. You will need to choose who will be your king. I think what we know by now, living in the world, right, is that sin and temptation will absolutely be a part of your life. Yes, we're free from the power of sin. We get to meet a human other than Jesus who has been successful be able to walk in the full reality of that. And so, yes, we're going to live with temptation. Jesus told us to pray that, he would, that we would be delivered from that temptation, right? So Jesus just assumes this is just going to be part of your life. But you must not give up. You must not lose hope. You must not bend your knee to the false king. You must actually fight the battle. You must actually... Fight the battle against the thing that killed Jesus and the thing that wants to kill you too. Fight the battle against what wants to kill you. And so it's, it's not, based on these verses, right, it's, it's not actually a Christian attitude to just kind of shrug and go, look, it's just who I am. It's my personality. I can't do anything about this particular area in my life of sin. Um, it's this attitude is just too deeply ingrained. This habit is too deeply ingrained. I can't fight against this thing. Sin will have no dominion over you. Do you, see how, do you see how that attitude is just actual, it's actual surrender? It's not considering yourself dead to sin or life to God. 
It's surrender to a thing that doesn't have power. Grace doesn't just forgive you. It actually empowers you to live a holy life. Grace empowers you to live a holy life. So either we're going to be at war with sin or, perish the thought, we're going to be at war with Jesus. Isn't that the alternative? For bending the knee to sin, we've made enemies with the king, the real king, right? You don't want to be at war with Jesus, guys. Spoiler alert, he actually wins the war. You want to be on his side. Trust me. No, the decision to fight and resist sin is entirely built on what we said last week, right? It's built on the good news of the gospel, that we've received grace, we've received forgiveness, we've received this, this new beginning, we've died to sin, we're alive with Christ, our past is dead and buried in the ground, rotting where it belongs, our sin has no dominion over us. Because of all that, because it's true, therefore, don't let it rain again. It's built on the good news of the gospel. It's only because of grace that we can, we can actually fight sin. This is where a lot of people get it wrong, I think. And this is where the church has got it wrong pretty badly through history. Is we've assumed that everyone has experienced that grace. Everyone, everyone in the world. Doug Moo, one of the uh, Roman, uh, Roman scholar, the Roman scholar, I guess you could say, Doug Moo, he said that um, telling someone who hasn't been united to Christ to fight against sin is like telling a drowning person to just swim to the shore. It's like, it's not helpful. It's not possible. It's actually really unfair on that person. Just be like, just swim to shore, you'll be fine. No. It doesn't work like that. It's actually impossible. For the Christian, yeah, swim to shore, guys. You have the power. You've been set free from the power of sin. You can swim to shore, empowered by the supernatural connection you have with Christ. First warning, don't let it rain. Second one, he gets specific, okay? This isn't just like a general principle. This becomes a specific, a specific reality. Do not let your members to... Do not present... I should say, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. And again, in the, in the context, this is military language. In the military, um, military kind of context, the word instruments can be equally translated weapons. Don't present your weapons to fight against the true king for wickedness sake. Don't surrender your weapons to him. Doug Moo again, I'll quote him again just because he's great. He says, our natural capacities are weapons that we are not to offer in service to the tyrant uh, sin. Since sin is no longer our ruler, we must stop letting it reign over us and stop serving it as if it was our rightful sovereign. We are at war with sin and we mustn't surrender to it and offer ourselves to it. Okay, let's think specifically about the areas that this kind of affects. Let's get a bit more specific, I think. Um, it's fair to say, I think, that everyone has an area of their life where the battle rages a bit hotter than other places. Where we are tempted to surrender our members as, as weapons for unrighteousness. Some of you today, I think, um, it's the mind, right? life of the mind. You're surrendering the life of your mind 
and letting in garbage that is filling your heart and your mind with garbage. <laughs> You're allowing that in, what you read, what you watch, what you let your mind drift to. It is surrendering a fight. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 tells us we are to take every thought captive unto Christ. Every thought captive to obey Christ. Thought, like, thoughts are kind of neutral in of themselves, right? Like if the thought comes into your head, it doesn't mean you agree with it. It's just there, right? I don't know if you've kind of ever had this, ever, ever thought this through and you're like, I'm thinking that. I don't like that. It's like, yeah, take that thought, make it captive. Say, I reject that. Get active in your thought space and reject those thoughts that are hanging around that you don't actually want there. I love, this, I love this image, right? Take it captive. Drag it, kicking and screaming, underneath the authority of Jesus and say, what does Jesus say here? Let him have his say on that thought. Let him tell you where it fits. Secondly, some of you, it's not the mind, it's, it, the war is in your eyes. It's fair to say this is a pretty chronic problem in our world today. Um, you're surrendering your eyes as weapons for unrighteousness with what you let, let them see what you let them look at. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God calls us to actually fight that fight. Receive grace for when we fail, yes. But fight the fight. Don't go down kicking and Go down kicking and screaming. Don't go down without a fight, right? Fight the fight on what you let your eyes see. So you get to your mouth. You just can't hold your tongue. The temptation for gossip, strong. The temptation maybe to get that last cutting remark in, just to show that you won the argument, is strong. Some of us are really good at that. We need to learn to hold our tongue. James 3, 8. The tongue, the mouth, is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, and he's, notice he's talking to Christians here. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. We sing songs on Sunday. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Some of you need to learn to control your tongue. The virtue of silence. Some of you, it's your ears. You open up your ears to any voice that speaks, even if, even if it's at odds with what Jesus would say. 2 Timothy 3, uh, 4 3 says this The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They don't want to hear what the Bible has to say, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. I've seen it happen. Did you know today, you, if, if, you want, if you want to believe something, you can go find someone with a degree who will say it for you. That's kind of terrifying. You can totally do that. People are doing that. The Bible calls it itching ears. Right? Tell me what I want to hear, because it'll make me feel better. 
and I'll block out all the dissenting opinions and I'll just listen to what I want to hear. You don't want that. That's spiritual poison. There are teachers out there, even in the church, maybe especially in the church, who are very happy to scratch that itch. Beware those who are just wanting to scratch your itching ears. Wherever it is, right? Whatever area in our life we feel most, like the fight is, is being fought on, Whatever it is, whatever it is for you, I don't know which one of those um, four you kind of resonate with the most, but you need to bring it to God. You need to pray for his power. You need to fight, not submit. Um, let me press pause and make a recommendation here. Thanks, Michael, for grabbing these for me. I bought a couple of books this week. I bought five copies of this. Um, I've only got two here today because apparently I couldn't get them fast enough. The rest are coming this week. Um, this is a book by Tim Chester. You might have heard of Tim Chester. We've recommended his Enjoying God book a thousand over the last two or three years. Um, this is his other book saying, You Can Change um, God's Transforming Power for Sinful Behaviors and Negative Emotions. It's a great read. If you have a particular battle you want to fight and you want some kind of coaching through that, um, Tim Chester is a great gospel teacher. Very practical, very helpful. Um, yeah, so I bought five copies of this. Um, so I've got them for sale, 20 bucks if you want to come grab a copy. would love to get this in your hand if you, if you would like one. As, as I said, I've got another couple coming this week. Um, it'd be very helpful. So please come see me if you're interested in grabbing one of these after the service. So, grace of God sets us free from our sin and then continues to empower us to actually fight against sin in our lives. We're forgiven. We get to leave our failures behind, dead in the ground. And we get to walk with Christ. What is the way that Galatians said it? We keep in step with the Spirit, following His desires, not ours. Fighting against what is wrong. Being transformed day by day. But I don't, I, I don't think we can just leave it there because I don't think it's a sufficiently complete picture of the Christian life to say, it's your job just to say no to sin. It's like, that's part of it, but if that's all we said, then we'd be in some trouble. There is more to say. The command, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but what do we do instead? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. I love that phrase. You just present yourself to God. You present yourself to God as who you are. Brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments, as weapons for righteousness. We come before the throne, we bend our knee, we offer him our weapons for his purposes. Right? This is what we are about. We want to be with him and like him in every way. And so we're his to, to serve. He gets to tell us what we do. He really does. He's our king. That's what we our learning here, living your life for God, isn't theoretical or hypothetical. It actually hits the ground in a very real way. It, like it, we actually need a, it needs to be actualized in real time, right? It needs to like change the way we understand things. Michael Bird, one of the um, other Roman scholars, he says this. He says, we're called to show allegiance to King Jesus in the kind of decisions we make in our day-to-day -day lives. 
it's in the normal stuff of life, he says, that we are to follow him. In the decisions we make, like as kind of basic as that. So, don't know what's going on in your life today. There's a whole bunch of us, so we're all, we're all over the map. But what decisions are you making today about where you're going in the future? About what you're doing with your money, about relationships, about where you're going to live, about what you're going to do, whatever it is. What decisions are you making today? Are you making those decisions underneath the authority of your king? At the end of the day, does he actually get to veto what you want? <laughs> does he actually have the right to do that? Does he have the right to change your course? Does he get a say, does he get a say in your finances, where your money goes? Or is that just like, well, I manage that, obviously. But, or, does, or can he call you to things, real things? Those decisions, right? Does God get a say in what your yeah your budget looks like? In what your like your work, what your schedule looks like? Your work life balance. Does God get a say in in what's coming next? Whatever that next decision is that you're looking at. Does God get to speak there, friends? Your surrender to God is not theoretical or hypothetical. It actually needs to work itself out on the ground. It's your very bodies, your very hands, your very minds and ears and eyes, your resources, your gifts. It's all under his authority. Um, I'm a big fantasy buff. Love fantasy. Give me a dragon, a guy riding a dragon with a magic sword. Love it. Love all that kind of, that kind of business. Um, so the, the image I have in my mind here of the Christian is the Christian as the mighty warrior, dressed in the armor of God, from Ephesians 6. Privileged by the king, rescued by the king, loved by the king, given honor, honored by the king, received grace. And this mighty warrior, every day, coming before his king, on his knees, offering again his sword. What do you want, what do you want today, Lord? Where... Do you want me to fight today, Lord? A Christian is a forgiven person, but it's not, we're not just a forgiven people. We are under the authority of Jesus. Under his authority. Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, says this, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So honor God with your body. He's talking about sexual ethics in, the, in that chapter in 1 Corinthians 6. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so honor God with your body. We'll finish, we'll just finish with this final word. Um, there is a tension here that I think over the last two weeks we've kind of felt a little bit, uh, and the tension is this. So the Christian life is a war, according to these verses. We've got lots of other verses we can point to to show that. But then we're reading verses last week where we're talking about kind of the Christian life as being free and being at rest in the gospel and just like enjoying relationship with God. Aren't those things opposites? Like how can I be at war but also be at rest? Which is it, right? And of course, the Bible, the, the Bible's answer is yes. Yes. Christian life is a war. Christian life is rest. Right? 
I'm not, I can't be the only one who, who, who sees this stuff in the Bible and has to like think about what this is trying to say to it. Should, should this life be a struggle or should it be kind of sweet contentment with Jesus every day of my life? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Uh, missed a few, but is this my life? Yeah, the Bible says both are true, right? We have this peace, we have this hope, we have this joy in us that is undefeatable because it comes from God and it transcends our world, right? And yet there is still a fight to be fought, is there not? This is what we're learning today. There is actually a fight on. It does change how you enter a, a war if you know that the war is already finished and over and won. Not over. It's still going, but it's, it's as good as won. Jesus wins the day, and yet we are still getting to, having to experience these, these battles. So what, what changes for us? This is what Paul reminds us at the end here. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin has no dominion because you're not under law, but under grace. When Paul wants to encourage us to fight the good fight. He doesn't drop the law. He doesn't drop the, 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 the rules. He reminds us that we have received grace. We've been brought from death to life. He wants to encourage our holiness and our righteousness, not through threat of law, but reminder of the grace we've received. The answer is grace. Real grace, real forgiveness. Real for we talked about this at the start, right? Real forgiveness where we actually need it, not just hypothetical stuff. Grace for me at my worst. And this new life that comes out of this relationship with God. The answer is not, as we saw last week, the answer is not more rules, which is legalism, or just no rules, cut loose, cheap grace, antinomianism from last week. The answer is relationship with our, our saviour spurs us on, and it keeps us from making these all, all these other stupid mistakes. Yes, we have received grace, and yes, we need to keep fighting against sin. So this week, um, look at what we'll do now. Is I, I actually want to give us some time to respond to this. I think it'll be helpful just to process through uh, where this needs to play out in our own lives and do some time letting the, letting the Spirit actually speak to us and convict us. Specifically, letting the letting the word actually be applied by the Spirit today. So, um, what we're going to do is I'm going to pop up some some questions up on the board just to, to to pray over. The message today is that we are under the authority of King Jesus, and so I'm going to invite you if you'd like to. If you're visiting, you don't want to do this. That's fine. Um, I'm going to invite you to kneel. Kneeling helps us to pray. Kneeling, in a sense, almost is a prayer. It's helping us humble ourselves before the King. If you can't kneel, please don't try. I don't want to be responsible for anything that goes wrong. Um, but if you'd like to, I, I would encourage you to do that. If you've never kneeled to pray before, I find it very uncomfortable. I think that's the point. I can never wait for it to be over. <laughs> but I think that's the point, right? It helps us remember whose authority we are under. 
So I'm going to pray for us. I'll leave these questions up on the board, up on the screen, I should say, for you to just reflect on. And then Elise is going to um, lead us in worship. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, um, yeah, we are so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for your grace that calls us sons and daughters when we have not earned that, when we've earned the opposite. Lord, Romans 5 tells us that it was when we were sinners that you sent your son to die for us. How much more now that we are sons and daughters will we continue to receive your grace? And so, Lord, I pray for for us, Lord, more confidence in your promise of transforming grace, rescuing grace, forgiving grace. And yet, Lord, we, um, we want to hear this word today from Romans 6, Lord. The call to walk in the freedom we have and to refuse to let sin reign again. Lord, we know this isn't going to be easy. We know that we won't do this perfectly. We know we're going to fall. Well, the gospel doesn't tell us that we are now perfect. The gospel tells us we are now new. Under a new authority, Lord. And so I pray today that on those moments when we do find ourselves hopeless because of our sin, Lord, and, and we feel like we are losing a fight and we are drowning, Lord, would you... Help us to see your superabounding grace that covers us up and envelopes us, that lifts us up, or that reminds us who we are, those who have been brought from death to life. And so, Lord, yeah, for our past sin, we thank you for that grace, Lord. For our present struggles, we ask you for more power to fight, Lord, and for our future sin when we find ourselves trapped, Lord, we pray that we would again receive your grace afresh. We drag that sin into the light, kicking and screaming, Lord, receive grace and live confident lives, confident in your grace, confident in your power, confident in your heart towards us, Lord. Lord, for, for those of us who are still trying to work it, work this out, Lord, and, and, and still trying to... Um, Understand maybe where we, where we stand with you. Lord, I pray that they would hear loud and clear that invitation to come and receive this grace for the first time. Lord, that they would see that there's this, this beauty in, in the gospel. There's beauty in it. Lord, that the, the message that, uh, that we are more sinful than we could ever believe, but also more loved than we could ever believe. Lord, that, Lord there's beauty there. When we receive grace for our sin, we receive the love of God, Lord. It truly does transform us. So Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would again receive your grace and be empowered by your grace to worship the King, not the usurper. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. I encourage you to spend a few minutes in reflection. I encourage you to, uh, to kneel, but please don't if you, if you can't. Thanks.